government of today has no right telling us how to live our lives because the government of 200 years ago already did. You have a whole planet sitting around making your power for you? That's slavery. It's society. They work for each other, Morty. They pay each other. They buy houses. They get married and make children. They replace them when they get too old to make power. That just sounds like slavery with extra steps. As sure as I know anything, I know this. They will try again. They'll swing back to the belief that they can make people better. And I do not hold to that. I am to misbehave. Hey everybody, you're listening to The Jessica Green Show. My name is Jessica Green, and today we are interviewing Bobby Jo Woods, who is a author and health advocate. She wrote the book, Diabetic to Ketogenic, and we are all very blessed to have her here today to talk to us about something that could potentially be a life-saving change in your life. So without much further ado, here we go. Hey, Bobby Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Jessica. How are you? I'm really great. Thank you for asking. I'm excited to have you on today because the ketogenic diet is something that I've experienced a lot of success with. And I have a lot of people who ask me tons of questions about it, questions I'm not always able to answer. And a lot of times I'll just turn around and ask you. So I thought... (laughs) Great, that it would be wonderful to have you on and just kind of have like a casual conversation about the ketogenic diet and what kinds of things people can expect if they wanted to start going down that path themselves. Oh, for sure. So one thing that I think is really awesome is that you've actually written a book about your experiences going from diabetic to ketogenic. And not only did you write this book, but you have this website called ketolish.us. And on that website, there are tons of information and recipes and all kinds of really interesting stuff. So I was wondering how you decided to, first of all, become an author and start putting yourself out there and giving people this kind of information. Um, Well, I'm really glad that you liked um, the site. And I will tell you that I think the reason that you have turned to me and other people to help answer questions about, you know, how to feel better about yourself, how to have better success with keto, so I think for me, it was just kind of the same response that you have with other folks that you talk to. It's just I have had a lot of people, you know, express interest in, oh, how do I make, you know, a different version of something my mom makes all the time, but I know it's going to too high in sugar or it's going to be something that, you know, spikes my insulin or, you know, that kind of stuff. Or it would just be something like, here's something that I love to eat on keto. I might as well share it with the rest of the world or here's a soup that my family just adores and they wish that they knew how to make it or that they wish that I would bring it to their house all the time. I kind of do sometimes. And then I would just, you know, publish it. It's just a way to share something that, that I love to do, which is to just eat better and take care of myself. So I kind of, it kind of started out as just a way to post recipes. Mm-hmm. And then it morphed into a place where I could have my recipe book. And then kind of combined effort of, you know, kind of motivational articles and just kind of like lists of things that might help stick to the plan mm-hmm. and just kind of learning how to tweak. So. Right. And this is um, a personal journey for you because you were somebody who experienced health problems that are really common for people in the U.S. that you were diabetic. And this is something that kind of helped you put the brakes on some of the symptoms and some of the health problems that you were experiencing. But at the same time, those um, are rather what I would like to say is that uh, it kind of flies in the face of conventional wisdom that 
people, when they find out they're diabetic, they'll often be given protocols that tell them to do almost the opposite of what the ketogenic diet says to do. If you go, right. if you type into Google, what are what kinds of things should I be eating if I'm a diabetic? The first thing that comes up is you should be eating lots of whole grains. But the ketogenic diet yeah. flies in the face of that. So what gave you the idea that you wanted to try something so radically different from conventional wisdom? That's a really good question. And I think I, think I need to preface it first, but the fact that it's so radical, I keep forgetting that it is. To me, it's normal now. I've been doing this for over, well, going on four years. Wow. And that doesn't seem like a lot of time compared to a lot of the people that I follow on social media and a lot of people that I've gotten to know who've been doing it for 10 or more. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you that you, you do have a lot of incidents of people that don't even know that they're diabetic or don't even know that they're already predisposed to some autoimmune condition. And over half of the country in America, over half the country, is probably diabetic and doesn't even know it. Wow. Right now. When I say diabetic, that includes people who would use the word pre-diabetic. Okay. Um, pre-diabetic is something that doctors like to determine based on an A1C number. And your A1C number measures a hemoglobin level that's in your blood. Basically, it's what's called uh, A1C because it determines, I think, two to three months of your blood sugar. So okay. if you have an A1C of between 5.7 and 6.7, zero, a doctor will say, well, you're pre-diabetic. Okay. Unfortunately, if you look at the world of doctors that have been following low-carb practices for their diabetic patients, they'll tell you anything up to 5.7 is actually not diabetic. And if you go over that, you're pretty much looking at being a diabetic. Okay. So long story short, this is where I'm at now, but everything that up until this point, I've discussed in the website, and it's free, completely free, but without going into the whole long, huge story, I did experience a lot of health problems, and I didn't know why. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like I was, like, drinking and smoking and, like, never exercising, you know, had a stressful job. It was none of those things. Mm -hmm. I was just doing what I thought was, quote-unquote, normal, like the rest of the country. Right. It just so happens that I have the kind of body that didn't like that. Right. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, weekends happen, brunches happen, going out to pizza and bowling with my friends and having a pitcher of beer, those things happen, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not how I ate every day, right? Mm -hmm. The things that I ate were like whole grains and vegetables and lots of, you know, quote-unquote heart-healthy, non-saturated fats yeah. and things like that. And guess what? Those heart-healthy, saturated, non-saturated fats are probably the worst thing I could have given my body and probably blew myself apart with like so soybean oil, canola oil, I'm trying to think of some other oils that are not, so I don't use them anymore, but they're in so many foods that are market, marketed as healthy. They're in literally everything. They're right. in granola. They're in whole grain, heart-healthy cereal. They're in all kinds of stuff. <laughs> All these things that, like, if you have a heart attack, your doctor is, like, you know, putting you on some kind of weird cashy muesli diet and, like, whole grain toast. And, like, none of this stuff is helping anybody. Right. They're, we're not horses. We can't eat oats and soybean oil. <laughs> right, right. 
I kind of noticed that every time I pick up a package of food, anything that comes inside of a package, the very first ingredient is always soy soybean oil, which is kind of a trip because I've read that a lot of these oils are not actually based on food. They're chemically constructed and that they're made to be cheaper sources of fat in food, but they're not not actually even intended for human consumption when you look at their chemical makeup. And it's, it's weird because it's like people always assume because of the word, you know, contains the word soy in it, uh-huh. that it's healthy because we've always been told for the past 30 some years that foods made from soy are healthy for us. And it's actually a sort of a myth because there's no, it's only partly true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Foods that are fermented soy, like if you go to Japan and you, you see a lot of healthy fit people with no incidences of heart disease and no obesity or chronic conditions like arthritis or Crohn's or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You live in Japan for however many weeks or months or whatever, and you meet these people, and they're like, they literally live on soy food, natto and soy sauce and things like that. And fermented soy products are not as harmful as regular, like, raw soy products are. Oh. And soybean oil is, like you said, it's manufactured. It's something that was a waste byproduct of soy crops. And so they're like, well, what can we make out of this crap? <laughs> you know? And right. so they would throw it in a machine and see how much, what did they get when they pushed on it with, with pressure from a machine that's, you know, thousands of pressure pounds or whatever. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, look at this stuff that comes out. It's kind of greasy. Does it taste like anything? Oh, we can cover that up with some, we got some chemicals over here that'll take the odor out of it, take the flavor out of it, give it just this clean profile and like, there is a lot of interesting facts out there on the internet about how these oils are literally damaging to the body. And so, so it's not this just kind of where it's not just the carbs. Where I came from. Right, right. Yeah, so, no, it's not just the carbs because I mean, potatoes never hurt anybody. Carrots never hurt anybody. You know, a little bit of white rice or brown rice probably never hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. But soybeans and canola oil. And other oils that are have a questionable origin, <laughs> if it doesn't come from an animal, you gotta you gotta look it up. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. How do so, you, why do you think that the um, American food industry and the dietary recommendations have gotten so far away from health? Because they say they claim eat this way and you'll be healthy. But we see obesity rates, diabetes rates, heart disease rates basically exploding in our population. And every every person I know is trying as hard as they can to eat the right way. But if you follow the dietary yeah. recommendations of the officials, you're almost guaranteed to end up with some form of metabolic illness. How do you think it is that we yeah. ended up in such a place? Well, you know, you and I have talked about this quite a few times in the past as a person who is you know, sort of a new libertarian slash, you know, recovering status. The, the, the businesses, uh, the food industry and the businesses that work with government to regulate um, nutrition guidelines and regulate farming, right? they have been, they're basically, they're basically serving their own best interest. And government is very kind of vulnerable to receiving information with, with the promises of things like campaign contributions and funded studies and all kinds of things that the government can actually get their hands on that would profit um, for them. And so it's, it's a mutual interest for the food, quote unquote, I don't like to say food industry, 
and then not make it sound like I'm talking about, you know, real food because this stuff isn't real food. So food product industry right. has a very keen interest in being in a beneficial relationship with the federal government, state government, the USDA, the Food and Drug Administration. Because what happens is these people will come up with these interesting studies, if you can call them studies. They're usually, they're usually cohort kind of setups where people are asked questions about their dietary habits and then they decide to throw this data into a chart and say, oh, see, whole grains are good for heart disease. Non-saturated fat help cut down on people's cholesterol. Right. See, and then the government goes, okay, we're done here. We got this whole fiber full of fake fats that they don't know are fake. And they go, okay, handshake, everybody wins, right? Right. So then you have people, <laughs> then you have people that are like, well, my doctor said, well, guess what the doctor said? I'm sorry, some doctors are too busy to look at this stuff. They're too busy to do the research because we're in such a health crisis right now. They cannot possibly see everyone for more than a few minutes and understand what causes of what this person is suffering from the best that they can do, even the nicest doctor and the most conscientious doctor, the best they can often do is prescribe a drug to solve this person's complaint that they're presenting with. And so it's just like the food industry and the, the, um, you know, the, the state have kind of partnered up. There are literally people out there, I'm not saying this is a conspiracy because I don't think it is, but there are people out there that think that, you know, if it's something that's legislated, if it's something that is put out as something that associations that doctors belong to and things that are very official and sort of, you know, things that are passed down from, you know, um, bodies of authority, then people tend to take that with a very more serious view than they would take somebody on the internet saying, hey, you know, I call this stuff out of my diet and I eat whatever, you know, this very simple whole traditional food that people ate 100 years ago and they think, what a nutcase. Everybody knows this other way because look at this book. It says, you know, and so... That's so crazy to me that someone would think that that was a nutty idea because you can literally look at people 100 years ago and you don't see the obesity. Like if you take a snapshot of a crowd now, you will see that a great majority of those people are going to be obese. And that just wasn't the or case before. Overweight. Right, yeah. right. That's very interesting. Um, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you brought that up. No, I was going to let you finish, but... Um, I'm glad you brought that up um, because a hundred years ago, we were eating lard and we were eating, and, and actually we might have to, we might have to start uh, even predating a little more because we're in 2020 right now. Mm-hmm. We may have to start saying, you know, 110, 115, 120 years ago. And Jessica, I'm, uh, I'll be 47 this year. Mm-hmm. And when I went to high school, it was like, you know, the, the 80s and the 90s. I can tell you that I was considered quote-unquote chubby at my age in junior high. I think by 12 or 13, maybe 14 is when I started to realize that I didn't look like everybody else. And if you looked at pictures of me back then with me and my friends, you would see that I was heavier than them. But you would think if you would compare that to a picture of some kids today, you'd think she's not even heavy. (laughs) Because I wasn't, but it just seemed like everybody even 40 years ago. Like 30 years ago, you know, 25 years ago, obesity was not as prevalent 
as it is today at all. I go to my mom's home, my, my old hometown, which is where my mom lives. And it's, you know, it's a really small, very small town. It's one of those that's almost so small you drive by it and just do it. Yeah. And I'll go into the gas station or a restaurant to pick something out. I'll be the smallest person in the store. Oh, <laughs> and wow. I'm 200 pounds. Wow. So, yeah. So, I mean, if you would understand where I'm coming from, you'd probably see this yourself. I live in a rural town. But it's like, yeah, and I do see yeah. what you're talking about. That certainly in the cities, you have people who both have more money, are more health conscious. And in rural communities, you have people who are kind of just like, they're living a more practical life. Their focus is not entirely on the types of foods that they're eating. So they're just going off the recommendations that are given to them. So it's kind of the, the odds are stacked against them. It's like they, they're not doing anything to make themselves unhealthy but yet our waistlines are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's almost like right. inexplicable how this is happening because everybody wants to be more health conscious now. It's something you hear about all the time. I'm trying to eat right. I'm trying to eat right. And it's like if you follow what your doctor tells you to do, you're almost going to go in the opposite direction. So it takes a lot of bravery to kind of throw all of that conventional wisdom out the window and say, I'm going to try something that's so radically different. And what we're talking, what radical difference we're talking about is just consuming real food, just consuming food that doesn't come out of a convenience packaging. And that seems, it's really crazy because that is now radical thinking. That's outside of the box wow. thinking. And it, it's very um, heartening to me that people are coming up to me and saying, hey, I want to try this. I mean, you hear from people like, you know, Jillian Michaels or the, the purveyors of conventional wisdom. Don't do this. It's bad for you. Don't do this. But people seem to be recognizing that, okay, well, what you've been telling me to do for the last 40 years isn't working. So maybe I'm going to try something radically different. And when they come to the radicals, like you and I, all we're going to tell them is, hey, eat some natural food. Don't eat food that comes out of a package. Make your own dinner. And it's like, wow, how, how is this, um, you know, absolutely uh, unconventional wisdom being thrown out by doctors? How is it being thrown out by the health officials? And I think it goes to what you were saying is that, you know, there is an indus industry and that industry is in bed with government and they kind of work together. I agree that it's not conspiracy necessarily. It's just that com our, we've become so much more like busy in our lifestyles, both, you know, men and women are working outside of the home. You got to take care of kids. You got to feed them. You don't have a lot of time. And it just becomes second nature to go for what's convenient, especially if that package yeah. says healthy on the outside of it. And it's almost like if you see that word, if I tell people, if you see the word healthy on a package, throw that in the garbage can because that's not what yeah. that is. That's that's a trick. Yeah, you don't see, you don't see healthy um, slapped on a label of broccoli. You don't see healthy written on a package of, you know, lean beef or even fatty beef. But right. those things are healthy with the, with the absence of junk food. And it's just, like you said, it, it's sad because people, don't, I don't think there's a conspiracy. If there was a conspiracy, there would be another camp of people that would know better and they would be like telling everybody else. You know, like, like a religion. They would try to be spreading the good word. And I think we kind of are trying to do that, but I don't think of CEOs are living anyway. So that's a whole other topic. There are people out there who, oh, you can't eat that. It's got carbs in it. Well, right. it depends on your health problems. It depends on your body. It depends on the type of carbs. 
but yeah, the, the fact that we have so many people that don't know they're sick, are struggling to do the right thing, are being told this is the right thing, they're doing that and they're still feeling bad, feeling unhealthy, feeling overweight, feeling sluggish, like you said, doing two jobs or both parents working or, you know, just feeling like they don't have the time. Right. I can tell you my way of life has boiled down to boiled down to such a simple way that I don't even spend that much time in the kitchen anymore. Right. And I don't meal plan as much anymore. Um, not to say that keto doesn't require some effort if you are coming from, you know, being able to eat whatever fast food or eat at the restaurant or eat at the work cafeteria or your university cafeteria or being able to just go home, you know, open a bag of frozen whatever and stick it in the oven. Right. So there is a little bit of effort when it comes to cooking real food for yourself, but it can be simple. It can be easy. It can be convenient. I mean, there are conveniences out there that are healthy, marginally, but they're still healthier right. um, by by leaps and bounds right. than what Westerners are eating. And what's worse is we're spreading this across the globe now. Right. There are countries that have never had diseases that we've had, and now they're getting all of the kind of like elderly slash autoimmune and obese problems that we've been experiencing the last 30 years. And I'm glad that you mentioned how rural people in rural communities versus, you know, urban communities, mm-hmm. how there's such a difference. First, how there used to be such a difference, and now there really isn't. Like, it doesn't matter if you're in the city or the country, everybody's fat. And there there could be something to do with economic differences or access to food. You know what's weird? You go to the heartland, and you see more of it. And the weirdest part about it is, is, I wouldn't say significantly more, but slightly more. But the weirdest part about it is, those people in a farm land Right, so what is a food desert for somebody who's never heard of that before? It's kind of like, okay, this is going to sound rude, but it's kind of a liberal, quote-unquote, you know, slang term that people like to say, oh, because we don't have access to healthy food, this is a food desert. It's kind of like implying a food ghetto or a ghetto. It is a little bit of a political term. So I kind of take offense to the word because there are people who think that food deserts are there there are people who think food deserts are a problem, but those people are usually on the slant of um, eating grains and all these bad oils and all these kind of things as being quote unquote healthy. Right. But okay. they're also they're also vegans, which there is there's proof out there that some people can live to be vegan. I haven't seen full conclusive proof. I don't think it's healthy for me. Right. But let's just say for the sake of moving past this argument that veganism is healthy, okay? Right, right. <laughs> I don't think it is, personally. But, but those, the people that use that slang term, which I find sort of kind of food desert, um, you know, they, they like to kind of point out class problems. They like to point out, you know, that kind of stuff. But for me, seeing people in literal farmland, like Nebraska or North Carolina, where they have several different kinds of crops, what happens is we have a incident now of such monocrops taking over real food crops. Uh-huh. So we have we have um, we have soybeans, which I think I don't know the 
the percentages, but it's a majority crop in our country. Right. We, um, we grow it for... I think, it, I think another thing it goes um, wheat and then corn. Mm-hmm. We do, um, as far as I know, we actually grow a lot of soybeans for China or for use for agriculture. Like, they feed it to livestock in different countries. And a great majority of our arable land, our farming land, is actually growing soybeans for cows in China. Yes. And there's also a percentage of that soy cropping that is reserved for products. So not necessarily consumption. Right. But that is correct. Um, so you have people who are being told, you know, that they should eat things like soy products and they should eat things like whole grains and they're sick and they're fat and they're not comfortable with their lives and they're in pain and they live in a literal farmland and there's no actual food to be found. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so to me, that's like, if that's not a wake up call, I mean, people that are alive today probably don't know. That, like you said, a hundred years ago, the way that you and I eat it was considered normal. Normal, right. And now, everybody's eating Nutrigrain and Big Mac, and you have people that think they're eating healthy, and then you have people that know they're not eating healthy and don't care, and that's fine, too. But the difference between knowing what is a food desert and knowing what's healthy that's where you and I come in, and we have people asking us, you know, what does it mean to be keto, and what does it mean to eat real food? If it tastes good and I made it, is that not real? Right. So there's a lot of education that we can provide to people who need it and, um, you know, help them feel better. So one thing that I like to do is, you know, I've published recipes. I've published a lot of, you know, lists of things that people may or may not be interested in, um, eating on a keto diet is the kind of foods that please them that, that are safe for consumption and don't make them feel like they're don't make them feel bad and right. um, don't cause or spike insulin. The diabetic community is starting to get a little bit more give a little bit more pushback on traditional diabetes education, but these are people that have known about the disease for years. Newly diagnosed people are confused because when they're told Oh, you know, you, you've been diagnosed with diabetes and all that. They're told to go to nutrition classes and sit down with um, either a group of people or a diabetes um, nutritionist um, who has a certification in um, nutrition, and I don't know how, but they do. <laughs> and talk about all the things to eat. And if you have gone to one of these, you know, kind of courses or been given a booklet or a pamphlet on what you can eat when you find out you're diabetic, kind of looks the same as what all the people Yeah, it um, does. It looks like the standard American diet. And it's like, this is what I was yeah. already eating. Right. And it's like, how did I get here? It's just what I was eating. There, there, has to be, there has to be a moment of clarity. And unfortunately, for people who are diabetic, that's not always possible. I can tell you that. Before I was diagnosed, I was suffering from brain fog that I cannot even describe. And I'm the type of person that I remember names, faces. I even remember stupid stuff from when I was like two years old. So I have a very long and vivid memory. Right. And so there are days that I can't remember. There are conversations that I had with clients that I can't remember them. There's emails that I've had to go look up. Mm -hmm. um, so my, my career was at stake. 
and I didn't know what was wrong with me. And I had an injury, and the injury wouldn't be you know, It was a wound for many months. It was a wound. It didn't make sense that this would happen to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's when I found out, you know, my, my practitioner and my care nurse for the outpatient um, said, you should get tested for this. We're talking 2007. This is pre-Obama. Right. This is pre, you know, this is just like post 9-11, few years after. So, so much has changed since then. The access to the information that we've had has exploded exponentially. I guess the reason that I went radical with my diet was because, like you said, all the things that we've been told were not working. Right. Something had to change. Something had to change. What is it that I need to change? And as weird as it sounded, like there was a low carb community online that was really kind of followed into um, Dr. Dr. Atkins. Dr. Atkins' new diet revolution that was printed in like 1972 had had enjoying a, I guess, what would you say? Not a reboot. I mean, it had a because I remember it, it coming back up, and I didn't know that it was as old as 1976. So, the yeah. at the rebirth or renaissance of Atkins is the first time I heard about it. Right. So it was kind of enjoying a renewal, I guess, sort of, you know, kind of uh, renewed popularity, sort of like when memes become popular and then they die off and then they're back again. Right. <laughs> so I had a copy, and one of my girlfriends had a copy, and she had always been one of those people that was kind of like dieting all the time, and I was never one of those people. I just ate normal. Right, right. I ate what my friends ate, I ate what my parents put on my plate when I was growing up, I learned how to cook, I, you know, when I moved out to my first apartment, you know, when I started going to college, I mean, I just ate what everybody else ate, and everybody else was fine, <laughs> so I didn't know what was wrong with me. Right. And I think, like, I think everybody, we all have the same, like, body, sort of, we start with the same type of bodies, but I think some of us could have predisposition to problems. Yeah. And so... There are people out there who will say, oh, you know, the way that we eat is fine. Look at all these people, you know, like, look at Jillian Michaels and look at all these people, like you said. And it's not necessarily the case. They may not know that they have something within them. And then suddenly, you know, the doctor says, hey, you should get tested for diabetes. And then, oh, hey, here's basically a snowball. Ever since I got tested for my diabetes, I've had issue after issue after issue that I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have known about because I think my diabetes would have just gotten me first. Right. And I, if I didn't go on so many different drugs just to try to get my blood sugar down because I I didn't, I wasn't low carb, I didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I, you know, I trusted an authority. I was still very um, liberal. I was still very status. I was still very, you know, I was in desperate need for help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... So, you know, I paid the cost with prescription drugs and testing this dosage and that dosage and combinations and this and that and the other thing. I had very stubborn diabetes. My first blood sugar reading was 360-something. Good grief. That's like two and a half times what normal should be. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. one and a half times. It's, it's not a small wonder that you were feeling as bad as you were if your blood sugar was that high. That's absolutely incredible. Yeah. I think also... And I was pushing well, through with a lot of stuff in my life at the time, too. I think it's interesting and, um, that um, people have a lot of personal shame wrapped up with um, their health 
and a lot of times the things that we think we're doing to making our to make ourselves healthier actually are making us sicker and that only makes us feel this personal shame when the truth is that we're not all scientists we don't know everything there is to know about nutrition or the human body or the way that human bodies are different and so a person who might be fine on the standard american diet and the next person next to them absolutely blows up because of it so we kind of like say hey the person who's okay on it through no fault of their own they're doing good but the person whose body is not tolerating that diet somehow they need to be ashamed of themselves that it's something some personal failing within them that's a type of thinking that I would like to change about you know if you found yourself in a position where your health is not good that you there's just something wrong with you you're you have a moral failing inside of you that's making you sick and that's just not the case we have had 40 years of diet industry of uh, the USDA the ADA the MA AMA telling us literally the opposite of what it takes to be healthy and it's hard to change conventional thinking because we do have faith and authority and that's something that I mean left or right anybody who just kind of um, grows up believing that the government has your best interests at heart has no reason to believe that the authorities would not be telling us the truth or not even that that the authorities just might be wrong and I think it does take a lot of bravery to say you know what I'm going to go against what the authorities are telling me I'm gonna try something new I'm gonna try this you know, I'm gonna try Atkins, I'm gonna try keto, I'm gonna try to do something different. That actually takes a lot of bravery for people, especially when you've been told you're fat because you're immoral. You have a moral failing and that's why you're big. And that's- Right, or you're lazy. Right, right. And every, like all the large people I know, they exercise way more than I have ever dreamed of exercising. And so I don't know, like all of the big people I know, I don't know any lazy big people. I know big people who are constantly dieting, constantly trying to make themselves healthier. And they just might not have a body that tolerates what we consider a standard diet. So I think it's really important to point that out. That- yeah, I absolutely agree that everybody's body is different. And so that's why I like, you know, because it's very flexible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If a person was coming to you and saying, hey, I come from the standard American diet, which is, you know, a couple of hundred grams of carbs a day. And I want to try keto because what the authorities have been telling me, what my doctor tells me, what the USDA tells me, obviously that diet's not working for me. I'm going to try keto. What are some of the things that a person can kind of expect when they're moving from that standard diet to a lower carb or ketogenic diet? I think that person is probably going to, that person is a, is a different case because they already, sounds like they already know what they want, mm-hmm. and they'll probably use the internet to research the best way to approach it. Unfortunately, there is a lot of information out there. It is very overwhelming. Right. Um, some of this information is very misleading. Um, it can make people believe that they need to buy a shake or supplements or keto sticks or measure, measuring sticks or blood monitors or, yeah. you know, all of these products, like, there aren't any keto products that are necessary to succeed on the keto diet, except okay. for real food. Right. Um, so I think the person that you kind of created, the avatar that would come to somebody and say, how do I, you know, what can I expect? I think that 
they would probably go to Reddit or go to, you know, Discord or something and find a community to help, you know, them. But most of the people that ask me questions are, like, literally coming up SAD. They don't know what they're doing is wrong. They just found out about keto. Found some people who have, you know, lost 25 pounds, like, on their Facebook or used to be neighbors. And, oh, you know, I have some... Saw my, my old teacher at the grocery store yesterday, and she looks 20 years younger, and I want to know what she's doing. And she told me, you know, they see that, and they go home, and they go, oh, my God, I need keto. And then that's, like, where they stop, and they either research it, buy something, try it out, decide they don't like it, give it up. The right. person that you created with the hypothetical question mm-hmm. sounds like somebody who's already intelligent enough to do their own research. Because they said, you said, you know, whole grain, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if you were saying that's what their thought process was or if you were just saying that's what they I kind of based that on um, people who have approached me. Like, I was at a party uh, probably two weekends back, and a guy came up to me and was like, hey, you know, Danielle is the friend who had the party. She said, Danielle told me you were on keto, and I just started keto, but I feel like I'm doing it wrong. And that's not uncommon that someone will say to me, I feel like I'm doing it wrong. Because like you said, there's so much information out there that it's overwhelming. And people are like, yeah, I bought the sticks and I pee on the sticks, but I don't really know if I'm doing it right. And sometimes it's blue and sometimes it's not. And um, I generally stick to that simple, keep it as simple as possible. Like you said, just eat real food and you're already doing yourself a huge favor compared to what the standard American diet is. So I think there are a lot of myths. I misunderstood. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's okay. That's okay. I think what you said was important too, because there are a lot of like bad actors out there who want to sell you drinks and they want to sell you all these different devices and things. Those are completely unnecessary. So I think that was an excellent point to make. But maybe... there's, There's also like, there's also legit folks out there who just have maybe a cookbook or have you know, um, a meal plan or something, but they have a blog that they want to keep busy for social media purposes, mm-hmm. and so they'll discuss all of that stuff, too, and that can be misconstrued as good information. Right. So sometimes just bringing things up in a community can make people go, oh, my God, I thought I didn't need these sticks. Now she's talking about this. Like, people don't read thoroughly. Right. And so there could be not just bad people with bad intentions, but People who have good intentions, but they talk about this stuff so much that they have people that follow them because they feel like they're an authority on the subject. And I, I think it's important to remember that, like, like I said in the beginning of our call, that it is simple. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. If you eliminate processed food, there's even ways to do sort of a lazy keto, which I wish I could come up with a better term. There's dirty keto. There's lazy keto. There's simple keto, but I don't like to say simple keto. I sort of made that up myself. But keto, dirty keto, is like someone that comes to you and says, you know, I started doing it and I think I'm doing it wrong. You know, I'd ask them, like, what, what's your average day look like? What are you eating? Well, you know, how much sleep are you getting? How do you manage your stress? Right. I mean, those also factor in because if you're stressed and you're not sleeping, your diet's not going to matter that much. Yeah, you just kind of like you're trying to make one thing sort and not the rest. Your body needs rest, and your body needs to be not stressed out. And so, how you manage that is important too. But 
going back to what I was saying about how annoyed I am with the terms dirty keto and lazy keto and creating a new one, simple keto. But it's not simple if people have sugar addiction. It's hard. Right. So people that have sugar addiction, I can't super hardcore relate to because I never did. Mm-hmm. Um, I had starch addiction, which is sort of similar, but I don't think it's as hard. It's possible that it is, but I also sort of ate quote-unquote clean about three years before I did go keto. Right. So I was already eliminating most grains. I didn't eat anything with flour in it. I didn't eat anything white. Any grains that I had were 100% sprouted, full-on. You know, I believed in this stuff. Right. <laughs> um, going back to lazy keto, dirty keto, this is terminology that people use to simplify keto, which it can be very simple. If you're stretched out for time, you don't have time to cook, just do it the bun. If you're in the drive-thru, just you know, order your normal burger and say, I would like a lettuce wrap or I would like no bun. Right. And make sure that you eliminate any condiments that have ketchup. So if you know that you're going to jack in the box and they put some sort of barbecue sauce or they put, you know, sweet and sour, ranch, whatever. Make sure you ask for that to be removed as well. And, of course, ketchup. I think most people know ketchup is full of sugar. Yeah. But Actually, that was a surprise to me because I was... You can eat the way you always have, but you can just take certain things off of your normal order and still enjoy. I personally, it was like a shock to me to find out that ketchup basically was sugar. Like, that's its main ingredient. Um, I wonder if even Heinz ketchup has more sugar than it has tomatoes in it now because I haven't had it in so long and I tasted it (laughs) and it tasted like candy and I was like, my God, this is pure sugar. I think people don't know that those those extra sugar and carbs and things can come from sauces and all of the things that we use to like flavor our food as well that just because it's like a sauce, they don't think of it as a food. And so, you know, you'll dump that, you'll dump that stuff right on there, not thinking about it. And um, I I think that's really good advice to say, hey, you know, life happens. Sometimes you need to go through that fast food window. If you're going to do that, don't beat yourself up about it. Throw the bun away. Eat the burger. You can still maintain your keto and you don't have to go through all this like decision fatigue where if it's not the perfect, pristine, clean food that came from your back backyard garden, it's okay. You know, do what you have to do. Just make better decisions every day. That's kind of the theory. Yeah, that- and I mean, I kind of go into a lot of detail on my blog about what foods can still, you know, make you struggle and what foods, you know, even if they're low-carb and keto-friendly, quote-unquote, you know, you could still have an issue with them. And I... I, I also, I mean, even though I told you earlier that I ate normal, I think it's fair to say that I had some disordered eating. Mm-hmm. Like when you say when you say you think of certain sauces or things like that, you don't think of them as part of the meal. You just put it on anyway. Um, I think that flavoring on foods can cause the disorders that we're looking at. Um, mm-hmm. Hyperpalatative hyperpalatable, sorry, the bliss point. There is, that's a food industry term. The bliss there point. There is a certain amount of fat, sugar, and starch, or fat, sugar, and salt, depending on what angle, that the food industry wants to score for us. So just like a touchdown in a football game, they want the bliss point. They want the touchdown. 
if they don't have it, they probably won't even release the product or they'll just keep developing it mm-hmm. until it's got the perfect list point. They've got consumers tasting their products. They've got people, you know, filling out questionnaires. These people are literally looking for people to have flavor explosions in their mouth. And if you can't put something down, that's when they stop testing the product and they roll it the hell out. Wow. So ketchup, sauces, condiments of any kind, those things are all fine. If you're just trying to lose weight, right? Mm-hmm. And you're just limiting, you know, what you eat. But if you're like me and you're diabetic, you're diabetic for life. And if you eat that stuff again, you're going to raise your insulin um, resistance. You're going to raise your blood sugar. Ketchup, <laughs> when you said ketchup was like candy, that's no lie. And I'll tell you something. I I fast. Mm-hmm. Okay, I fast daily. So my first meal isn't until usually somewhere between noon and 2 o'clock. I try not to push too far past that because my blood sugar does crash. Okay. It's not common. My blood sugar one time went down to 49, which is very rare for me. And it was also a cold day, so I wasn't able to go out and exercise. Now, usually I do go out and exercise because that keeps things stable, right? Okay. And I went home, and I forgot that I had ketchup in the fridge that I bought for a family picnic. I had two tablespoons of ketchup, and my blood sugar went back to normal. Okay. <laughs> so, um, and I kind of even almost heated up the it's interesting that it only it's, took two tablespoons, though. Well, I don't know if it took it, but I'll tell you, ketchup is pretty addictive, so maybe I overdid it. Right, right. I, I think there's something so to be said. To go ahead. Go hyper ahead. yeah. There's something to be said for that, that um, if you have, like most of us, grown up in the last 30 and 40 years with a food industry that is specifically scientifically targeting your taste and then you want to try to get off of that kind of diet other food probably isn't going to satisfy you quite the way that scientifically engineered bliss point food is going to so that's going to be an adjustment um i did find my pers- me personally when i went off of sugar and I, I went off of grains and, and went toward a more low-carb ketogenic life, it took a period of adjustment where I felt like food didn't taste as flavorful. So that's really kind of in line with what I experienced. And then now I find when I eat those foods, like I, I, I had a Cheeto, somebody had a bag of Cheetos, they offered me one, I didn't want to be rude, so I had a Cheeto, and I was like, my God, the flavor of this thing is not good anymore. Um, so once you get yourself away from those things for long enough, you will adjust back to enjoying the way that foods are naturally meant to taste instead of this, right, scientifically engineered type of foods. And I, I remember, cause Cheetos, like hot Cheetos, especially those were my thing. So I oh my ate, God. <laughs> right. I mean, they're good. Right. And then I ate it and I was like, oh, this isn't anywhere near what I remember. This isn't anywhere near the satisfaction that I remember getting from it. So there is kind of, although it is adjustment, a period, uh, there is adjustment, a period you do. There is light at the end of the tunnel. You will adjust. You're going to enjoy real food a lot more than you enjoy that processed stuff. Only if you give it enough time to work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for people listening, so I'm trying to figure out, you know, when I'm going to get to the point about how you can make keto work, 
if flavor is important to you, there's ways to add flavor to your food without compromising your health or making you feel like you're failing at this. Right. You can use things like a few drops of lemon juice. We can use all, all kinds of vinegars are keto-friendly unless they have sugar in them. Mm-hmm. Just check the label. Things like olives, pickles. Like if you love salt and zest and tang, um, you can get lots and lots of flavor from things that are pickled and fermented. Sauerkraut is another really great keto-friendly food. And it's also good for, you know, getting your digestion back in order. So mm-hmm. people that first go keto sometimes feel like they're having a little problems in the digestion area. Mm-hmm. Sauerkraut is a great way to kind of bolster, you know, your gut your gut mechanics again. Um, Greek yogurt is another good one, or just plain low-fat yogurt is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, sour cream is another good fermented food that also helps with bacteria in the gut. And also tastes good. And, it, and it's good for you. It's, it's real food. It's just, you know, it's fermented milk. So <laughs> there's, those things all feel like they might be cheat items, but they're really not. Some people have problems with dairy, you know, and for them there's things like, I don't know, mustard. There's all kinds of um, salt and seasoning salts and hot sauces. And there's a lot of stuff out there that you could put on your food to kind of make you feel a little bit better about what you're eating. But eventually, like you said, you can sort of, you know, when you have satisfied your 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 body with real food, then that you've kind of given yourself sort of a, a quench through your whole system. I mean, your tongue is sort of secondary after that. Right. And yeah. also, if you're somebody who smokes and drinks alcohol, I'm not a preacher. I used to do both. I know that my taste buds improve after quitting both. Okay. So if that's something you struggle with and you uh, really want to succeed and you want food to taste good, those things, eliminating both of those will enhance your your taste buds exponentially. And, and I mean, not eliminating alcohol. Red wine is so great. Right. You know, clear, clear and dark liquors, depending on the, what, what they're made of are very, very ultra-low carb, and some are even zero carb. But for the most part, when it comes to flavor, and like you said, you start to appreciate the real thing after a while, then really all you need to add is salt and pepper. For me, the most flavorful food that I eat now is beef. I'm practically carnivore now. I don't want to make people get the wrong idea because keto is, carnivore is a type of ketogenic um, diet, Mm -hmm. but it's the most satisfying, and it so far has been the only thing that hasn't done anything to me that I regret. So I'm, I'm still eliminating a lot of things. But when you feel like you can't control sugar cravings, you feel like you're so addicted to grains and starches and things like that that you feel out of control. You know, eating fatty foods that are very low in carbohydrates you do do satisfy that. And right. you will feel like you can't eat another thing, especially if you have cut down on processed foods because the processed foods, even if your body is physically full, your tongue may feel a lot more. So if you want to add flavor to your food, that's great. Know your, know your limit. Right, right. And actually your website contains a lot of good information on, I think you call them tweaks, but they're just kind of like ways to substitute some of the not bad foods that we're used to eating, but just like the, the flavors that we're used to consuming um, can be emulated in other ways. 
So it's not as though you have yeah. to restrict yourself and be like a monk about it. Like food is meant to be enjoyed and we can enjoy it in a healthy way so that it's not making us sick on top of us enjoying it. Yeah, and the sweets kind of goes through a little bit more stuff. Like I said, there are a lot of things that are keto-friendly, but if you're struggling and you've been doing it for, you know, a couple of months and you don't know what's wrong, you can visit the tweets list to see maybe there's something out there that's keto-friendly that you're just maybe overdoing. Yeah. Um, things like pepperoni or certain kinds of cheeses that have things in them that make you overeat them or just the fact that some kind of some kind of sausage meats have sugars in them. Right. And they can they can increase your insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. If you have most 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 weight problems stem from insulin resistance and not from overeating of any kind of food. Right. Okay. Um, so even if you're not diabetic, you could have that inside of you and not know it. And when your insulin is resistant, it means that the nutrients you're putting in your body are not being carried to the cells properly because that's what insulin is supposed to do. Right. So when you increase your sensitivity of insulin, then you can start losing the weight that you want to lose. So it's very important that you're looking at what you're eating, not so much how much you eat. Because I can tell you from a personal standpoint, I have been on restricted diet. And as a big person, like you said, most of the big people that you know like exercise or they do a lot of it or at least enough of it to make a difference. Right. I am someone who enjoys exercise, but I'm still a big person. I'm also a person who used to restrict calories that you would think that I would be thin. Right. But that is not the case mm-hmm. because I've had days where I eat 1,300 calories and actually gained weight the next day. And I've had days where I've eaten 2,000 calories and I've lost weight. So sometimes it really depends on what your body is trying to do. You could be repairing damage you don't even know you have. Mm -hmm. And if your body needs all those calories, it's going to use all of them. If you're malnutrient or deficient, you don't know. So I think it's important to just take it easy and just test things out and don't change up things too fast because then you're never going to be able to track what's what. I think that's wonderful advice. We're, we're coming up on an hour now, so I think this is probably a great place to wrap it up to. And um, sure. I want to thank you because all of the stuff that you've talked about today I think is really useful, especially if a person is just starting out in keto. Just to remember that you're a human being and that you're not going to be perfect and that it takes time. And um, is there any kind of parting notes you want to leave the people at home? Yeah. I agree with you. You need to be gentle because you, most people didn't gain 50 pounds overnight, and they're not going to lose it overnight. Right. There's a reason why. You, um, you know, we need to heal ourselves first. And usually the cause of overweight is damage that needs to be healed. So I agree with you there. Thank you so much for having me on. I know there was a couple little things that we were kind of thinking we might talk about today, but now that means I have to talk to you again. That's okay. So, I would love to do a follow-up episode because there is there is so much in this um, type of topic to discuss. It can be a little overwhelming to try to fit everything in. So I think we hit the basics, and I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much, Bobby Joe. Yeah, thank you, too. And um, if anybody wants to um, ask me a question, feel free. My website is ketolish.us, and I have a contact form, and there's other ways to reach me on social media through there. 
Okay, great. And I'm going to include that link in the description and the show notes, you guys. So definitely contact Bobby Joe because she's an awesome person to know. Thanks, girl. We'll talk to you later. Thanks. You're the best. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's our show for you today. I really hope that you got as much out of listening to that as I did recording it. If you would like some more information on the ketogenic diet or just simply wanted to look over Bobby Joe's website, which has some amazing recipes on it, and I definitely recommend you do that. Whether you're deciding to do a ketogenic lifestyle or not, there's some yummy stuff there. So go to the description and you will find the links to both her book and her website. And if you have any questions for me or stuff or have a question that you'd like me to pass along to Bobby Joe, please leave a comment or send me a message on Twitter. I'm at at Anarchy Toward on Twitter. And you can pretty much, you know, find us both haunting the Twitter scapes. Okay, so that's it. I hope you guys have a blessed day. Goodbye. <laughs>